Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this hour with Beverly Canaris. Doesn't seem like that long ago we were celebrating Christmas and that little baby being born. And now this week we're looking at our Savior going to the cross. And the Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. And he died for our sins. And on the third day he rose again from the dead. And we have a resurrected Savior who loves us and wants a relationship with us. And how amazing is that? I always think of search and rescue missions where they stop at nothing to find the missing person. Uh, Tremendous resources are always used, and they get everyone on board looking for that person. And I always think that Jesus is on a search and rescue mission for you, and he won't give up. He's coming. He's looking. He's always trying to put himself in a place where you can see him and understand what he did for you and know that he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. So if you have resisted, if you have for years, maybe your whole life, maybe you've gone to church off and on through much of your life, but you have never understood the sacrifice of what Christ did on the cross for you. And we're going to talk about that today. Beverly Canaris is going to be joining me. And we are going to uh, talk about why the cross. It's going to be a great week uh, that we've got before us. And Sunday is going to be quite joyful. But uh, Good Friday is going to be difficult as we think of what what he did for us. So we're going to go through that week. And we're going to do that hopefully in the next hour. So we'll take a short break and bring on Bev in just a minute. Our Lord knows all about our needs. So if your need today is emotional... He knows it perfectly. If it is physical, some form of healing, he knows all about it. If it is a financial need, he knows about that. Real truth, real hope, faith radio. Life is the focus of Faith Radio. If you're new to our ministry, welcome. Through daily Bible teaching and compelling conversations, we want to help you grow in your faith and learn to apply God's Word to everyday life. Faith Radio is part of the Northwestern Media family based in St. Paul, and we'd love to introduce ourselves to you. Get to know us better and request a free welcome packet today at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show as we prepare our hearts for the week. It's always wonderful to examine exactly what went on this week and why the cross. We're going to talk about that today with Beverly Canaris. She has taught Bible Study Fellowship for over 30 years and now is uh, still mentoring and teaching and always delighted to have her on the program. Beverly, welcome. 
Thanks, Bill. Great to be here on this very special week for oh, all of us. Indeed it is. So uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Holy Week. Well, you know, I, I kind of worry with all the pandemic talk, and, and we should be talking and, and helping each other and doing all we can during this time, I, I get a little bit concerned that I just might forget all of the that I want to remember about this Holy Week and Easter. So um, I don't want it to get lost. So the truths that we discover about Christ's death and his resurrection are really truths that we need right now for today in the midst of a pandemic, really. Mm-hmm. So, and then when we take these truths about Christ's death and resurrection, we get that clearly in our mind that what happens is we get a new perspective, a new worldview that really can give us hope and peace in the midst of fears and anxiety. You know, someone I heard say this this week, uh, we talk about social isolation, but the cross is what saves us from eternal isolation from God. Mm, Great point. So, Isn't that a great point? It's the cross. We need to understand the cross. And I'm excited that we're going to focus on this today uh, because it is the, it is the sacrifice Christ made for us that we can escape this eternal punishment. And I never get tired of talking about the sacrifice. So, um, no, no. It's the, always such a valuable experience yeah. to meditate on the cross, to but, remember. But antagonists to Christianity uh, always wonder why, why the cross? Why, why would God, you know, go have his son go through this? I, that doesn't make any sense. And they don't understand the blood and the and the and the beating and the the nailing to the cross, and they don't get it at all. And I don't know if Christians understand it um, very well in the beginning of their journey with the Lord. Well, I know I certainly didn't, Bill. I remember thinking as a young adult and an older teenager. Now, what was that cross thing all about? And it just seems so weird to me that you know. A person had to die and he died for me. And I just, I wasn't getting the connection and the cross and the gruesomeness of it. And um, everything was kind of uh, a mystery, even though I think as a child, I understood it with a child's faith. But as I grew and matured, I began to ask those hard questions like, why did Christ have to die? Mm-hmm. Such a gruesome death. And then what does the cross mean exactly? I mean, we wear it around our neck. We talk about the cross. We see crosses everywhere. It's certainly an important symbol, but what does it mean? What does it stand for? And then really important is what does the cross mean for me? What difference does this, you know, asking these questions and finding the answers, what difference does it really make for me? So I think one of our richest texts in the Bible that can answer these three questions Um, is by opening the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is one of my favorite books to study. I say that about a lot of the books in the Bible, but this one is so focused on Christ and his work that he did on the cross, why he came. And so it's a great place to answer these three important questions. So we're going to go all the way. We're going to start actually in chapter nine. We could do hours and hours upon this about Christ. But we're going to start there. I think it's a great place to start just to answer these particular questions. Um, First of all, a little background on the book of Hebrews. The early church was going through a period of 
persecution. We know that from church history. And they were being tempted to go back to the old covenant where they wouldn't have been persecuted at all. They wanted to go back to the old sacrifices, to the old priesthood, the old ways. And, you know, isn't that human nature? Mm -hmm. Even all of us now, we just want to go back to the old ways, the way things were. And so this is where the the audience of Hebrews, where they were at. And the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who exactly is the author. Um, he, he's trying to show them how much more excellent the way of Christ is and the new covenant that he brought in. So that kind of gives us a little background. So now we're looking at chapter nine, and he starts off by talking about sin and how God is calling people to himself. He gave Israel, um, early Israel, a, a temporary system, a first covenant. And this first covenant was given to Moses on Mount Sinai as they left their um, bondage in Egypt. And it was put into effect by the, the sprinkling of blood on that covenant, to, that it was uh, sealed in this blood. And then it goes on to talk about the tabernacle. Um, Bill, you're real familiar with the tabernacle that uh, the Israelites were instructed to construct in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. uh, here they were to construct this elaborate temple, and God gives very specific instructions. Um, he's told them to, you know, make the curtains and the lampstand, uh, a consecrated bread table, an ark, a curtain, an atonement cover. Um, elaborate system of the priesthood and offering all these sacrifices. What that tabernacle really represented and what chapter nine starts to talk about here is that this represented God's presence and his availability to his people. However, God is holy. So the way to enter his presence has to be on his terms. The setup of the tabernacle actually all looked forward to Christ on the cross. It, it, it started out with the sacrificial altar, and then you would go into the lampstand, which Christ is the light of the world. You would see the consecrated bread of in, uh, the bread there, that Jesus is the bread of life. You would see the incense in front of the ark and the atonement cover. Well, Jesus brought atonement, atonement and made that possible. He brings us the very presence of God, which that ark represented, and the atonement cover, where the blood was poured on a yearly basis. So really, all of that is setting up Good Friday, Christ's death on the cross for us. All that sacrificial system was an illustration of that. And then these high priests also had a role. They, um, they would stand in the gap between God and people. They were an intermediary. Uh, one time a year, the high priest would take a sacrifice for himself and for the people and he would put the blood on what's called the mercy seat, this lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box in this most holy place, which was the third chamber of the tabernacle. And only he could go in there and only once a year and only with blood because he was entering the, the holiest of holies place where God dwelt among his people. And he couldn't go in there without first covering blood. So he would put the blood on top of the, the, the Ark it was called the atonement cover, as I said. And then God would look down from where he sat uh, with the angels right above this atonement cover where his presence was acknowledged. And he would see the blood. And that blood would cover the Ten Commandments that were 
uh, set aside in the Ark of the Covenant. So that's a beautiful picture of what this was. The whole system was a picture of the blood that would be shed by Christ on the cross in order to come into God's presence. Even verses nine and 10 here in chapter nine, it says, this was an illustration. These sacrifices were really inadequate to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were really just an external type regulation. And it says here, applying until the time of the new order, verse 10. So they were temporary. They were meant to all point and ready his people to understand the sacrifice that Christ would make in the future. Um, now, the sacrificial system of today is all gone. The moral law that came Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, still does stand. The moral law is um, law for all people for all time. But this sacrificial system was temporary. Ben, you want to take a break? I think it's a good time to take a break, although yeah. I love where we're going with this, but we'll we'll resume in just a minute. Uh, Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about why the cross today. You're going to not want to miss another minute of this. So um, we'll take a short break and be right back. show. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about why the cross as we look at Holy Week. And it's a very different Holy Week with the pandemic in place. It's going to change the way we worship on Sunday for the most of us. And it's always good to examine the cross and always look at pointing to the Savior. And Bev, as we, you just took us through uh, what happened in the Holy of Holies, I realize once again that God is a God of great order. Yes, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And detail. Yeah, Look order and detail. And all that. And you know why there was so much detail there, Bill? Describing and making sure everything was just as God said to set this tabernacle up is because it's, it's a copy of what's in heaven. And that to me, I never knew that until I studied Hebrews. Say more Listen about that. Verse. Yeah. Uh, verse 11 in chapter 9 of Hebrews, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of creation. He did not enter by means of blood, the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Wow. So that's why it was had to be so perfect. It had to be the replica of heaven Mm. again, symbolic and getting them ready for this, um, this really the fulcrum of all time, the cross and the resurrection. Um, So that, that is really amazing to me that Christ acting as the high priest takes his own blood in to the heavenly tabernacle and offers it up on not his behalf, but on our behalf, all those who will come to him and believe. So Christ is now functioning as the high priest, and he's the one, instead of the high priest of the Old Testament, now Christ is the new high priest, and he's the mediator between God and man. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So now between us and God, there's one mediator. We don't get to God by anyone else or any other form or religion or good works. We have to go through the one mediator that can take us to God and establish a relationship with God. And that mediator is Jesus Christ himself. And he came there with his own blood and he came once. The priests had to constantly repeat this sacrificial system, but not Jesus. Mm -hmm. He came once because he was the perfect sacrifice and he was also the son of God and his blood was efficient for all. Um, when Christ died on the cross as our mediator, this is what took place in heaven. So can you kind of picture that now on Friday, when, when you think about his death and his blood being shed, that he is taking it up and offering to, to God as our mediator on our behalf. And it also says that Christ is the high priest of the good things that are already here. And there's a lot of good things. In fact, I want to end our time listing all the good things that has transpired because of the cross of Christ. So here he is. He's entered the heavenly tabernacle, the perfect, the true tabernacle by his own blood. Um, he wants to restore the relationship that we had broken with God because of sin. And I love these two phrases. And it's, they're repeated in here. Once for all. Once for all, that blood was that efficient. And then in verse 14, listen to this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more? Um, and then when it says through the eternal spirit, this means that uh, this act of Christ, his death, on our behalf is complete and it's unrepeatable. It's, it's finished. It's over. It's been taken care of. Note here too, that Jesus said he offered himself willingly and that he was unblemished and without sin. And remember all the old Testament sacrifices had to be unblemished as again, preparing the people to understand that there had to be the penalty for sin had to be paid. And that penalty was death. Often they use blood in the place of death. Um, blood had to be shed in signifying death. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as he hung on the cross, think about the burden he bore on our behalf. Your sins, Bill, your, of your whole entire life, mine, everyone who's ever lived, mm. the sins were hanging on him. Now, it's not effective for everyone because some people do reject him, which is super sad. Mm -hmm. um, and it also talks here about our, our consciences are truly cleansed by Christ's blood. You see, the temporary system didn't really cleanse the, the worshiper. It was more an outward cleansing and a temporary provision. Um, but when we believe in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, we are truly, truly cleansed. In fact, John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
So on the cross, as you look at the cross, remember your guilt has been removed and guilt is so destructive. Guilt keeps us from God or it's going to send us to God. Mm -hmm. Hopefully when you feel the guilt and the weight of your sin, you will come to God. You'll come to Christ and say, take my sin. I confess this to you. Take it. You bore it on the cross. You paid the penalty for it and restore me to yourself in that personal relationship. But we, even as Christians, though, we can hang on to that guilt. We can hang on to uh, feeling terrible about our sin. And, you know, you can take that way too far. When we deny what God has declared about those who receive Christ as Savior, that's not good. He's declaring us what? He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Christ made it possible on that cross to have our sins removed. And our sins, by the way, were the judge and the jury of condemnation. Mankind is sinners by nature and sinner by deed. We both, both is true. We have a sinful nature since our very first parents, and we also sin because we choose to sin. So this had to, this was the 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 gap, the the problem in in having a relationship with God, of having our sins forgiven. That sin was a huge block, but the cross, when you look at the cross, that opens the way to a relationship with Christ, with God the Father, and so much more. So with this forgiveness and clearing of our guilt, we're now given the opportunity to serve the living God. Um, I love how that said that, so that we may serve the living God. That's the end of verse 14. Now, we have to think about that a minute, though. We're saved to serve. We don't serve to be saved. Mm -hmm. People get that often confused. Their sense of guilt and wanting to do right by God, they, they will serve, but they still may reject Christ, which is their only mediator for them. Um, the only way our serving is really pleasing to God is when Christ has first cleansed us. So that has to come first. And then what we do is honoring and glorifying to him. So the cross, I see the cross as giving us a life purpose. And that life purpose is to serve the living God. I like how they make the differentiation there with the living God. And then in verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called and God does call people may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, covenant, in other words, under the law. Mm -hmm. So Christ, through his death and resurrection, has brought in the new covenant. And this new covenant is much superior to the old one. The old one was, um, uh, it, it had conditions on it, where the new covenant is unconditional in that as upon receiving Christ, we receive this eternal gift. Um, it's much superior to the old one. The old one was just an illustration a shadow of the things to come, scripture says. So the new covenant is, um, it supersedes the old one. And these people, remember in Hebrews, wanted to go back to that old covenant. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll take a little break. Beverly Canaris is my guest, talking about why the cross today. Thanks for listening. If you missed any of this, you're going to want to go to myfaithradio.com and make sure you hit, hit it from the beginning. We'll take a, a little break. Be right back.
back to the show. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about why the cross. And when we last left off, we were in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And I love this verse, uh, Bev. It says, uh, the back part of 15, now that we, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, we've got a new covenant that's much better, don't we? We sure do, because under the new covenant now, it's by the blood of Christ, the one-time sacrifice for all. Um, we are free from the sins that are committed in that same verse. It says, it also says in verse 15, we gain an eternal inheritance or eternal life. This isn't just something to make us feel good for today. This is something that we receive from Christ. This death on his cross gives us an eternal inheritance, eternal life with him forever. I mean, the what he accomplished there for us is incredible. And then he demonstrates that eternal life when he rises from the dead to show us, yes, there is eternal life. Uh, what a, a guarantee that is. Um, he says, too, here that the ransom was paid. Um, we had to pay the ransom. Uh, someone could pay a ransom on our behalf, or we had to pay it ourselves, which meant would have meant our own um, death and, and shedding of blood. But he paid that as a ransom for us. That's pretty special. You know, Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and I, I love that thought. And, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So it was God's love and his grace that motivated him to pay this ransom for us. It also talks about the penalty and power of sin. And someday the presence of sin is going to be eliminated through this um, act of Christ's death on the cross. Well, the next section, as we go on in Hebrews 9, speaks about a will. And this is not uh, our human will. We're talking about a will like that we write up and then it's it's put into effect after there's a death. Um, blood or death is required. And so it uses this as an illustration that Christ's blood or death on the cross was required in order for the new covenant to be put in place. And just referring back to Moses, Moses in the first covenant, the old covenant, the Sinai covenant, had to take blood of an animal and he sprinkled it on the people. And this was the um, sealing of the, of the old covenant or the Sinai covenant. So Christ's blood or death was required in order for this new covenant to be put into place. Um, verse 22 is a really important verse. And a lot of times it's just taken out of context. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the penalty for sin is death, and the, the shedding of the blood is just a symbol of that death that had to happen in order for there to be any forgiveness of sin. No death, no forgiveness. Uh, then to, the chapter kind of finishes here where he says he offers himself, Jesus, to do away with sin once for all, there's that, that phrase again, all would be all who put their faith in him. We're not talking about universalism here, Bill, which mm -hmm. is which would just mean that Christ died for everyone. We're all good. No matter right. what you believe, what you think, what you do, we're all good. That's universalism. This is he died um, for all in that all who put their faith in him. And remember that faith, again, is a gift. It's not like we got a work that up. It's a gift from him. If you have faith, you've been given that gift 
so that you can receive his uh, forgiveness. Verse 27 says that all are destined to die once and face judgment. There goes reincarnation. Yeah, that's out the window. Yeah, that's not going to work there. Um, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he's going to appear a second time not to bear sin. I just was reading about his return this morning in my in my regular Bible time, and I, I just I felt such a glimmer of hope from that being in the situation we are in right now with our isolation that he's going to come again, and it says that he's not going to come this the second time to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Christ there, right in the midst of all this talk about the blood and the sacrifice is a promise. He's going to come again. And this time he's, he's, he's going to bring salvation. It doesn't mean he's, you, you're not saved until he comes again. It, bringing salvation means he's going to complete it all. The entire picture is going to be wrapped up when he comes again. The, the, the presence of sin will even be removed. So we, we look forward to that day and are waiting for him. Chapter 10, then, we're going to take a few verses here as well, continues with more of the wonderful things Christ did for us on the cross. Um, Here again, they explain how these earlier sacrifices were a reminder of our sin, um, and we still had a need for God's forgiveness. They were only like a temporary covering. Um, Verse 4, it makes it pretty clear here that they were just temporary. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, and then it goes into some wonderful prophecy quoted from Psalm 40 about Christ, about how God wasn't looking to the animal sacrifices for the for lasting salvation. He was going to send his son who came willingly. And then also Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53. If you want to go over some of these prophecies of the death of Christ, these are some of the most beautiful. Let me give them to you again. Psalm 41 through 8, which is quoted right here in Hebrews 10. Psalm 22. You're not going to believe Psalm 22. It's like they're describing exactly what's happening on the cross of Christ. And this was, you know, uh, years and years and years. Uh, ahead of time. And then Isaiah 53. I think that's one of the passages of prophecy about Christ's death that really is the most stunning to me. Let me just read you a verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That is profound truth. And there's one other verse in, in uh, Isaiah 53 that stops me in my tracks. In verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the Lord's will to crush him. Now, I, I have two sons. And I just can't imagine the depth of the feelings he must have had to give up his one and only son. Mm. I'm with you. Yeah. Yet it was the Lord's will. So at great cost, it's a great cost to God the Father. When we look at that cross, remember the cost God was willing to go to for you. 
Um, oh, the rest of this is so beautiful. Again, it says, we are made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Are you just loving that phrase? I do love once that phrase. Yes. All. It was so efficient that, that the divine blood of who he was, the son of God, and yet, as a human, he identified with us so that he could be our sacrifice. Uh, it's incredible, but it's, that's what made it possible once for all, one sacrifice for all time. And then it goes on to say, being made holy. The cross of Christ makes us holy. Oh, boy. We, none of us deserve that title, do we? No. <laughs> Only by God's grace. Being, yeah, exactly. We're set apart, Bill. We are set apart, and increasingly, once we are, we have, we are made holy. In other words, we have a righteous standing before God the Father through Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Christ and his righteousness. That is being made holy. And it does talk about being made holy. There's a process here as well. So we have a righteous standing that never changes, but then there's this process called sanctification, where we grow in this holiness and in that righteous standing that Christ has given us. So Christ really, in this last part of chapter 10, is, uh, is contrasted between the earthly priest, whose work was never done. They were always standing, always giving sacrifices. But then it says about Christ, Christ has sat down at the right hand of God. And you know what that signifies? That's very important. The work is done. It's finished. Once for all, it's done. The sacrifice has been given. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, Christ has made perfect forever. Again, there's that idea of holiness. Those who are being made holy has been made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. What? Oh, that's what? amazing. Can that even be true? Yeah. But it's true. That's what he accomplished on the cross. When you look at that cross, when you hear that sad music on Friday, uh, going to services and things on your computer, of course, but um, think about that, that he has made us perfect forever. We're being made holy. We're now new creations in Christ. And God sees Christ's holiness in us. He took our sin and gave us his holiness. What a deal. Yeah. It's amazing. We always have to be reminded, too, that God is looking at us through the lens of Jesus. Absolutely, Bill. I love it. I love the way you said that. That is so true. Mm. Um, now, this process, again, of holiness happens, though. It does require some effort on our part. It's a, a, it's a time where we apply Scripture to our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't just sit back and say, hey, I'm holy forever. You know, I'm perfect. <laughs> As tempting as now, that is. Well, you're, you're becoming. Right. And that will be made complete when we see him face to face. But in the meantime, there is this process of sanctification, and that happens as we apply the scriptures. Hebrews 10 goes on to say then, in this new covenant put into effect by Christ's death, now God's law is written on our hearts and our minds. How is that possible, that God's law is written now inside of us not on some stone tablets. Um, it's inside of us. Well, I would assume this means the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and he indwells us. 
And then he teaches us the way of God from the inside out. He changes our heart and our desires. We want to obey God. We want to follow him. This is a big change rather than, you know, law for, on the outside. Um, you know, there's that cute little story about a little boy who um, says, you know, the mother told him to sit and he goes, I might sit, but I'm standing on the inside. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we want to, um, this changes our heart so that we're sitting on the inside too. It's a, it's a real change of our, our life when God's law is written on our hearts and our minds. Verse 17 is one of my favorites. I'm going to read it to you. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. What does that mean, Bill? Do you think he totally forgets? No, he'll just, he'll never hold us accountable for those after he's forgiven us of them. Yeah, yeah. I love this. I will remember no more. He you forgives know, and forgets. With, Who does that? Does. Only God. Only God can do that. Yeah. When you're dealing with human-to-human forgiveness, <laughs> um, you really can't forget. You can forgive with God's help. You really can forgive. But it's... You really don't forget, but here God says that He's going to forget them. I love what Micah seven nineteen says: "All of our sins are cast to the bottom of the sea." And Corey Tenboom always added on to that, and he puts up a sign: "No fishing." <laughs> Isn't that cute? That's so cute. So, yeah, he. All of our sins, our lawless acts, I'll remember no more. Boy, that is some reason to give thanks for the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm. And in verse 18, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish, please. Okay. And then verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And where these have been forgiven, it's, it's done. It's finished. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. It is done over. We cannot add. Christ has done it all. I love it. Let me take our last break. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We'll take a very short 90 seconds and be right back. All right, we are back with Beverly Canaris. Today we're talking about why the cross, powerful out of um, Hebrews chapter 10 that we're just in right now, Bev. And I got, I got to say, I, I love verse 18 and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It is finished. The work is done. Uh, you know, we have to take that to heart and really believe that, Bill. We have a hard time accepting that kind of forgiveness at times, don't we? Yep, we do. Yeah, we really do. Well, I thought it would might be profitable here at the end. We talked a lot about a lot of things that um, answered our question as far as why did Christ have to die? What does the cross mean? And then what does the cross mean for me? So I've got a little list. I made a list of them, and that's really what got me excited to talk about this topic was as I was going through these chapters, I just started, I see, I started seeing all these wonderful things that the cross, the shed blood of Christ accomplished and why it was so important. So I just kept listing them out. And let's just go through that list briefly and just 
as you hear these listeners, just let these wash over you with gratitude, with praise and thanks for all the things that occurred on your behalf on the cross of Christ. As you go into your Good Friday services, think on these things. So here we go with the first one was that this has brought in good things, the good things of the new covenant, the good things of God's love being demonstrated in giving his one and only son, the grace that's only another good thing is his grace. We do not deserve this. This is undeserved favor from God. Another good thing is a relationship with God. Blocking the way was the sin and the death, the bloodshed paid the ransom so that we could be restored to our maker, to our God, to our Lord. One, oh, he sh Jesus Christ, that was the first one. So now the second one is he shed his own blood once for all, making us clean inside. You know, the Old Testament way, it was just all outward cleansing and kind of temporary stuff. It never really cleansed the consciences of the worshipers, scripture says. But here, his own blood, Christ was willing to die that gruesome death in order to shed that blood for us once for all. And now we can be clean on the inside. Third, he became sin for us. He was the ransom. He paid our just penalty. God was just in saying, if you sin, you shall die. He was just in that. And yet Christ came because of his grace and he paid our ransom. He paid our just penalty. Number four, he cleansed our conscience. You know, it's a terrible thing to feel guilt, but through Christ, you can be free and have a cleansed conscience. Number five, you're free now to serve. You have a purpose in your life. You're not floundering. You know why you're here and what you're to do. You are to serve the living God, not serve him so you can be saved, but because he has done this on your behalf and stayed on that cross, you're now free to serve him. You have purpose to glorify, enjoy him forever. Number six, you're going to receive the eternal inheritance. We receive the promise of eternal life. Yes, Christ died a terrible death on our behalf on Friday, but we have the good news of the resurrection. He demonstrates for us that we, we receive then an eternal inheritance because of his death on the cross. Seven, he has done away with the guilt of sin and the power of sin. And someday he's going to take away the presence of sin. Number eight, his sacrifice was sufficient for all who will come to him in faith. It was an amazing sacrifice. When I think about all of the animals that were sacrificed and how technical they had to be with all of the offerings and things, think about what freedom that is to be freed from that temporary system and to have a God who would come and make his sacrifice of himself, which then was sufficient because it was that divine blood that was shed, that perfect man representing us. Um, he, his sacrifice is sufficient for all. Everyone is invited who will come to him in faith. 
Nine, we are made holy. This is a hard one to accept too. We, Because we know in our hearts, we're really not holy. But God says, I have made you holy. When I see you, Bill, like you said, I see Jesus Christ. So our standing before God is one of holiness. That process of becoming holy is called sanctification. But through the cross, we are made holy. Number 10, we become perfect forever. Well, I'm so glad to hear <laughs> this, that I'm finally perfect. This is what it is, though. This yeah. is our standing. We become perfect in Christ's eyes. You know how you look at a baby, a newborn baby, and you say, ah, they're perfect. They're so beautiful. God looks at us now and he goes, they're so perfect. Look at that bill. Perfect. Beautiful. He sees you as perfect forever. Mm-hmm. Number 11, the Holy Spirit now writes God's laws on our hearts and our minds. We have the tremendous blessing of having the Holy Spirit reside in us. And he's the one that changes our heart and our desires so that obeying God becomes our own heart's desire. And then we're disappointed and and saddened and repent when we don't obey him. So he changes us from the inside out through the Holy Spirit. Number 12, our sins are remembered no more. As you said, only God can do that. Your sins are remembered no more. We got to let go. We got to let go of punishing ourselves. And then 13, there's no other sacrifice is needed. That once for all is really the biggest message out of these two chapters. Once for all, Jesus Christ died. One sacrifice powerful and effective for all. It's done. It is done for all who will come to him by faith and receive Christ. So if there are listeners, as you started the program, Bill, who have never really looked at the cross or what it meant or how it might affect them, that maybe now they feel a humbling in their spirit and they would like to bow their head right now with us and pray to receive Christ as their Savior, the one who paid the ransom for them and is giving them that eternal inheritance. And now they can be clean and they can have an eternal, an eternal life with God, a holy standing with God and a whole new life and purpose. So Lord, set us free from eternal isolation if we have been rejecting you. And bring us into sweet, eternal fellowship with yourself through Christ and his death on the cross. And Lord, as we worship and thank you for the cross, especially on this Friday, sensitize our hearts. Help us to be aware of your great love and sacrifice on our behalf. And may you be greatly honored and glorified. In Christ's name we prayed. Amen. That's lovely, Bev. And I know that there are some listeners that have reached out and made that prayer personal for them today. And if that was you and you want to tell somebody, you can send me a text. I would love to celebrate with you. And if you need any more information or questions, we'd be happy to get them to you as best we can. You can send me a text at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 
eight four, especially if you're feeling a little bit alone and quarantined. And I just uh, prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, and I want to tell somebody. You can tell me. I'd love to hear it, and I'll tell Bev as well. So again, the number, if you want to send me a text, is 877-933-2484. Beverly, have a wonderful Easter. Thank you so much for doing the show. I don't, oh, I, don't, I don't like doing it quite as much without you here in the studio, but I'm okay with you being at home, of course. So thank you. Yeah, it was my pleasure and, and just a joy, and you have a great Easter too. Yep. All right. Thank you so okay. much. That mm-hmm. wraps up our show for the day. Thank you uh, for uh, listening and supporting Faith Radio. It sure means a lot to us. Um, again, tonight, is there a live event with Carmen LaBerge and Susie Larson? I think Susie's on it as well. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com to learn more information about that. You can do a Facebook Live. I think it starts at 7 p.m. Never ask me for details. I'm never good with details. But go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can find everything you need to know there. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.